Beloved, if you have your Bible there with you this morning, let's turn then in the, to the book of uh, Luke. We're reading from chapter 21. I'm going to read from verse 7 down to the, um, the end of the chapter, verse 38. Okay, let me read it to you. So they asked him, that is the disciples, asked Jesus, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be and what will be the sign when they take, these things are about to take place? And he said, Take heed that you do not, do not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time has drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified. For these things must come to pass first. But the end will not come immediately. And he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be, a great earth, and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilence. And there will be fearful sights and great signs in the heavens. But before all these things, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for your, uh, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts. Do not meditate beforehand on what. You will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all of your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you even to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head shall be lost, but by your patience possess your souls. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. And let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days which of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babes in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and, and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away to captives into all the nations. And Jerusalem shall be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon. And in the stars, and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity, the sea and the roaring waves, men's hearts falling them or failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when you see these things begin to happen, look up and lift, or look, uh, look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Then he spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree 
and all the trees, when they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. As surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell upon the face of the whole earth. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you might be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And in the daytime he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and stayed on the, mount, on the mountain that is called Olivet. When then early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Amen. So uh, we are in this portion of scripture which is called the Olivet Discourse. Or it's commonly known as the, the Olivet Discourse. And if you remember last time we looked um, about the disciples coming to Jesus and asking him. Um, they, they pointed out first of all that the temple of all its greatness. And we looked a little bit at the temple of its magnificent um, appearance, the, the grandeur and the, the splendor of it. And we looked at that it wasn't actually the original temple. It wasn't Solomon's temple. It had been destroyed. And when the, the people had become back from exile, they rebuilt a second temple in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. It was Zerubbabel's temple. Great name, Zerubbabel. Young parents, if you want a cool name for your child, Zerubbabel is open. Um, <laughs> no, uh, and Zerubbabel's temple was built, and it was an okay temple. It was all right, but it wasn't magnificent. And during the four hundred years of the of the between the last book of the Old Testament and the coming of John the Baptist, that that temple had actually been um, there's four hundred years of silence. We all know that. During that time, during the Maccabean period, that, that temple had been defiled by the Greeks. They had slaughtered pigs upon the altar. And so that temple had fallen into to ruin, basically, and was more of a, a, a deserted building. It was still being used, but it, was, it had lost its splendor and its place, really, in Jewish culture. And then along comes Herod, Herod the Great, who has been given the kingship of the coast. He has been granted the franchise of looking after the nations that are there. And he comes to the Jews and he offers them the chance of, of, of them receiving a new temple. And he goes through the negotiations and it's agreed upon. And Herod builds, Herod an Edomite, he's not a Jew, he then builds this temple, a splendid, gorgeous, amazing temple. Herod was a very amazing man. He was a great soldier, a general. He was a great architect, a philosopher. He was friends to Caesar. 
Julius Caesar. He was a, he was a very intelligent and artistic. He was like a Renaissance man. Could do a little bit of everything. And uh, at the time of Jesus, at this time when we're reading, the temple has been under construction for 46 years and will not be finished for another decade or two. And it is magnificent. There, there's one outer wall that's completely covered in gold. There are, there are, there is a golden wine, not a wine, a grape uh, vine that winds itself all the way through the temple. The bunches of grapes were as big as a man and all in gold. The temple itself was littered in gifts of precious gold, bronze, statues. Uh, it was just dripping wealth. It was maxed out to the bling. It was a beautiful building. And uh, the, the, the masonry and the stones were magnificent and giant. Have you ever seen pictures of the, the western wall, the wheeling wall, the only part that's left? You'll see that those stones that are used are, are giant. And they're only foundation stones. They're not actually part of the actual building. They were the stones that were put in so that they could build upon them. The actual building was giant and magnificent. The pillars apparently were, were carved out of single blocks of granite and marble. Instead of having segments like Legos put on top of one another. It was magnificent. It was giant. It was so big it rivaled modern day cathedrals. Have you ever been to the, the cathedral in Helsinki? And It's a magnificent giant building. You go inside and it feels very reverent. Well, this temple, Herod's temple, would have dwarfed Helsinki Cathedral. And so the disciples, during their visit there, they're admiring the building and they look upon it and they point this out to Jesus. And Jesus then tells them that, that of course, this temple will not be there forever. He, he kind of shockingly just dismisses it. And then if you carry on here and look in the reading, you would almost think that in the same breath, the disciples ask Jesus, when the question when but if you look in the other gospels in the gospel of mark verse in chapter 13 it actually tells us that they didn't ask this question until they were seated on the mount of olives so that's a, a two a two mile walk from the temple to where they were however long that takes 40 minutes an hour i don't know depending on how fast you walk and they're, sit, they're seated down and they're looking over. The Bible also tells us who it was who asked. It says it was Peter, James and John and Andrew asked him privately. They asked him the question. Now in, in Luke, the question is, is formed this way. Teacher, but when will these things be and what will be the sign when they are about to take place? And in Mark Basically, the question is formed there. But in the Gospel of Matthew, we're given a little bit more insight into the question. In chapter 24 of the Gospel of Matthew, this is the questions they ask. Now, as they sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him, that is Jesus, and privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, if you... Read it in the Greek there. 
the it, that question on the signs of the end of the age is almost part of the second question. You're coming the sign of the uh, and the you're coming and the end of the age. So when Jesus is talking here, and they ask this question. It's twofold. They're asking about the temple that's in front of them. They're asking about the building and the destruction of it. But also they're asking beyond that. They're asking what will, when will these things end? What will be the, the final? Now in their mind, they thought when Jerusalem falls, the end has come and God will set up his kingdom on earth. And here Jesus, when he's looking at this, he's looking from that point, and we all know that the, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD in one of the great revolts of the Jewish people. Jesus is looking at that situation. He's going to tell them about that. But in the same way, he uses that and springboards from it to a time when not just Jerusalem will be destroyed, not just when judgment will be poured out upon Jerusalem and the Jews, but also he springs to a time when all of creation, all of mankind, the whole world will endure that judgment that is to come. In one way, what happens in Jerusalem, what will happen to the temple is a small type, a picture of what will happen to the world. So finally, when God's judgment is poured out upon this world, that not one block of what we see will be left standing on it. Now, you and I, we live in this world, and we look out the window, and it's glorious and wonderful, and it's beautiful. And there's a part of our nature that thinks, as it is, it has always been. And as it is, it will always be. And it's hard for us to imagine any kind of great catastrophe that should happen that would wipe away reality, the existence, the lives, the, the, the freedom that we enjoy. The idea of a, 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 a global catechism, a global end is very hard for us to imagine. Yet Jesus using the temple and the destruction of the temple, the coming destruction of the temple, he demonstrates to us that all these things that are around us are but temporary. Indeed, Jesus tells us another way that uh, here it's heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. In the Old Testament, it tells us that the earth shall melt away as wax before a, an open flame. Have you ever lit a candle? You ever see a candle? I love candles. so I won't let me touch them because I play with them. You light a candle and after a while, of course, it shrinks down, doesn't it? And it melts away. The heat consumes it and it just kind of disappears. Where does all that wax go to? It burns up. And there's nothing left in the end. Maybe a little puddle. But even then. Jesus tells us here. That in the same way. That judgment was poured out upon. 
Jerusalem and Israel. That we are to expect that one day the world and creation, not just this planet, but all of creation, shall endure the same treatment. Jesus then, of course, begins to go into detail. And this is important for us to know. Why? Because this is one of the longest discourses, one of the most complete sermons that Jesus gave. And it's right at the end of his life. He's giving important information to his followers. And the Holy Spirit recorded it and caused it to be written down and be contained within the scriptures. And it is passed on to you and I. It is not redundant scripture. We cannot just say, well, it happened in 70 AD and therefore we don't really need to know about it. There is truth here for us, for our hope of the future, for our knowledge of the present. Present. We looked, Jesus warns his disciples that many should come in his name. Not claiming to be him, but, be, but claiming to come from him, to be of him. That there will be a rise of false religions, of Christian, Christ religions. That there will be a great deceiving movement that would spring up in his name. Many people call, claiming to represent him, yet have nothing to do with him. And he said, when these Christian cults, this, and we think of cults, you know, as small movements, but think of the Roman Catholic Church and its great cult. It's the greatest Christian organization in the world, and yet it is so far from the Christian truth. It has Jesus Christ imprisoned upon a cross, gives a priest the power to pull Jesus unwillingly from the throne of heaven and imprison him in the crucifix and to re-crucify him every single time they have a mass. Jesus warns. And then he goes on in verse 9 and he tells them that that there would be a time of, or there would be times of tumult, tumult of, of tremendous trouble to come. That the end, whether it was Jerusalem or the end of the world, would be a time not of peace. It wouldn't be a time of, of, of prosperity and of building, but there would be difficulties. The old Christian word is tribulations, difficulties, trials, hardship. It would be, uh, have you ever gone swimming in or canoeing on a force, on a waterfall or rapids, you know, and the water's all bubbled up. You ever see the, 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 at the bottom of a waterfall? The water is like a, a, a cauldron. It goes round and it's, it's churned up. That's the idea of the times in which we... we uh, uh, that Jesus is warning of here. Wars and of commotions. But do not be terrified. For these things must first come to pass. So Jesus is telling us that at the end... Whether it was Jerusalem or the end of this life... 
this period of history in which we belong will not be one where we're to expect it to be easy. We're not to be expect this time of peace that is to come on earth, but there it will be difficulties. Let us never be surprised that wars happen. Let us never be discouraged that there is great discord in world politics. Why can't people just get on? I keep saying that to Sarah. Why can't people just be grown up and mature and get on and, and treat each other with respect? But the Bible tells us that that cannot be. It is not in the nature of man. Sin dictates division. The ambition of men seeks to destroy one another. And Jesus warns his followers that they are not to be deceived, nor are they to be disheartened. And then he says to them in verse 10, Nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilence, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from the heavens. Once again, we see that there is this, this idea of, of turmoil. There's this idea of trouble, that it's not going to be peaceful and constructive. It's not going to be a time of where everything is just heaven on earth. Like we live in an unheard of time. We have we live in a time of um, here in the West, should I say, here in in the EU and in Europe, Western Europe and, and America, since the war in the 1950s, we have enjoyed a period of unbelievable prosperity. Our children have grown up and they have never experienced war. Our children have never been once hungry a day in their life. They've never been cold, like real cold. They have been able to grow up and enjoy a time of, of absolute blessing. But it is an un, unusual thing. It is an anonymous... An anonymous? <laughs> I can't say that word right now. <laughs> it is not the norm. And even now we see the tensions happening. There are... In world, the world stage of politics, nations against nations. We see things happening. You know, the ridiculous trade war with the United Kingdom about to happen. You know, if you try and import something from the United Kingdom, they're warning you that you'll have to pay extra toll uh, on it. The coming out of the country and then coming into us. If you look at the book prices from England, if you buy, buy books from England or from the United Kingdom, those prices now have gone up even more because of the taxes. And the English are complaining because they're having to pay taxes. Northern Ireland, where I come from, is, is bewailing and moaning that we couldn't resolve our, our difficulties, religious and uh, cultural, through political means, but not economic Dangers are threatening to unify all of Ireland and the Northern Irish people are now asking to become one nation with the Republic of Ireland so that they can escape the taxes. 
the foolishness. We're living again on the brink, on the doorstep of going into a new tumultuous time, a troubled time. Should we be shocked? Should we be surprised? Should we despair and say, oh Lord, why can't we just have peace on earth? We should all want peace on earth. But you should not be surprised when difficulties, when hardships, when wars begin to happen. And and as we get closer to the end, those things shall multiply. Jesus talked about it as in they're the birth pains. You moms who have had babies, you, you understand that the, the, the contractions have never done it. So been there, seen it happen, but never felt it. The contractions, they, you know, I remember Sarah with Amy and she said at the beginning, she didn't, she, I, I don't know. I remember, I don't know. And then we had to rush to the hospital at the end. The contractions come sporadically, randomly to begin with. And then as the time gets closer and closer for the baby to come out, those contractions grow larger and more tighter together until the baby is born. That's the sound. In the same way, we are told that the judgments of God, God removing his restraining hand from the nations, his common grace, those spasms, those great pains shall intensify. So as we saw with Jerusalem and as we will see with this present age, as we get closer to the coming of Christ, the troubles intensify. They get worse, not less. So it will, be, it will be marked as an age of difficulties and troubles, of political trouble. But also that there will be ecological difficulties. I mean, we, we live in a time when we're, we're warned, you just go on the social media, we're warned all the time, global warming. We're, 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 we're told about the, 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 the danger to the rainforest. We're told about the, the danger to the oceans. The rising or the lowering of sea levels and drought and all kinds of difficulties. Well, Jesus tells his disciples that as the time draws nearer, that even the earth will sense it. And God's judgment will be poured out upon the earth. And the earth will respond not just in what we live, but also in the, the sky. Whether that's an atmospheric. Do you, some of you may be old enough to remember the old panic about the hole in the ozone layer. And most of you are too young, I remember. Johan and maybe Sarah, maybe the rest of these are all too young. How we were told that, that there was a massive hole in the ozone layer and it was going to be like a microwave and as it moved across the surface of the earth, we'd all get cancer. My mom, I remember my mom panicking and buying Factor 50, you know, and I would be on the, on the beach in Northern Ireland. In Northern Ireland, the most rainiest country in the world, 
covered in, in factor 50, which is just basically just paint, you know, white paint that you put on a child. Because we were afraid of the danger of this hole in the ozone layer, which just suddenly disappeared. Or they found out actually that it's natural. In one season it's at the bottom and then the other season it's at the top. And somehow, in some way, it allows pressure to escape the atmosphere. And it's not really a hole, it's just a weakness. And it's just basically, it keeps sw- switching round. But we are told regularly on social media about the, the danger to, the, to the, uh, the world. Jesus warned us way before anyone else did about the dangers that were to come. We should not be surprised and we should not be shocked when these things happen. When there are earthquakes and earthquakes intensify upon the, the earth. When there are floods, when there are famines. Indeed, Christ tells his disciples that these things were, are and will happen. But then in verse 12, he says this, But before all these things they will lay hands on you and persecute you and delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. So we see that as it was for Jerusalem, it will be for the, the, that time before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When there is great disturbances among the nations and among people, nation rising against nation, there is also great disturbances in the natural world, maybe as a consequence to the, to the troubles of the people. But then also there is a great social difficulty. There will be a... a Renewal of persecution. Now the early church went through terrible persecutions. If you read about the persecutions of the early Christians. How they were thrown to lions. How, how they were used for sport. Nero bound them up in beeswax. And used them as torches for his barbecues at his mansion. And he enjoyed. He played his music while they were screaming. And said what a beautiful symphony. The sound of screaming Christians made. I mean, I could, the, the, the stories of their persecution of the martyrs of Christ is terrible. And yet the Bible tells us that there will be a renewal of persecution towards Christians. Now, they won't come after us. They won't so blatantly say, it's because you believe in Christ they will find some other way. Nero, when he persecuted the Christians, he did not persecute them because of their faith in Jesus, but because he accused them of being terrorists, of sedition. He, the tradition tells us that he blamed them for the burning down of Rome. It was the Christians who did it. The Bible tells us that there will be a renewal of persecution. That they'll come after us. And we can see that already on social media. Or if, I was talking this week to our brothers from Aberdeen in Scotland. 
and they were telling me that that it's outlawed in Scotland right now for Christian churches to gather. Apparently the most dangerous place in all the world is the Christian church. When Christians gather together, that's a super spreader event. And you can't do it. It's against the law. But also that the Scottish government are now discussing whether to bring in a new hate speech law. Which forbids whether you're talking privately. So if I was at my own home and I said something to my son, to my wife, and it was regarded as hate speech, though I spoke it in the privacy of my own home, I could still be held accountable by the government. Now what is this hate speech? Well, it's anything that goes against people of sexual minorities, goes against religious minorities, basically anything that's not Christian. If you, if you say that Jesus Christ is the only saviour and that Muslims have to be born again or people who are in sin have to repent. If you make anything that makes anyone feel offended, you can be arrested. I'm not joking. Arrested and go to court pay fines and perhaps do jail time for your personal beliefs and speaking out your opinions. That is a law being considered by a government, a Western government, not Russia, not somewhere in Africa, not China or some tin pot dictatorship somewhere in the world, but a Western country, a European country. The Bible tells us that there will come a time of renewed persecution towards the Christians, towards those who believe in him. And Jesus warns his disciples, and we saw it happen in their lives, and we saw it happen in the, the, the generations that came after them. And as we approach the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, those things shall intensify. They will lay their hands on you. That's not a good thing. <laughs> that's, not a, that's, not a, that's not a nice thing. That's them seizing. It means to, to grip someone. To grab hold of them. To lift them up and to carry them away. And they will persecute you. Delivering you up to the synagogues and to the prisons. Now, the idea of synagogues. We, we think of a synagogue as a religious meeting. We think of it as a church. But synagogues were much more than a church. They were an administrational building. They were like a courthouse. So what he's saying here is that they will deliver you up to the courthouses, to the places of, of, of judicial decisions. They'll take you to court and they'll send you to prison. And you will brought, be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Now that was certainly... True in the lives of the disciples and the early Christians. And as you and I grow and as we get, approach the coming of Christ, we must not be shocked that people will seek to persecute us and prosecute us and to get rid of us and to unjustly and unfairly put us in positions. But we don't deserve to be in. I'm a good person. I've done nothing wrong. Doesn't matter. 
They hate you because they hate Christ. Jesus said, as it is with the master, so it shall be with the servant or the disciple. Beloved, if you hold fast to Christ, there will come a time, there may come a time, when that will cost you your life, the lives of your children. It may cost you your home. We must understand that the following him has its consequences. And that he hasn't promised us a heaven on earth now. Our best life now. We must understand that God's judgment will be poured out upon this earth. And that as a result of that, the people of this world will respond in kind against him. And against his people. But Jesus says, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. This will be your opportunity. This is your moment to represent him. This is your moment to shine. To demonstrate, to give testimony. To call the world to repentance, to proclaim the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the moment that has been given unto you by Christ. It is the reason why we must, therefore, it says in verse 14, therefore settle it in your hearts and do not meditate it before Hand. He says, don't, basically he's saying, don't worry about it. Don't let it dwell upon your hearts or upon your minds. Don't fantasize about it. But rather, be steadfast, be stubborn. Be resolute and be strong. Know that God is with you. Know because you have been told these things. Don't be shocked or, dis- or dismayed. Don't be surprised and discouraged. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Because Jesus then says that because he will be with you in that circumstance. Verse 15, I will give you a mouth and wisdom which your adversaries will not be able to stand. You will not be in that situation by yourself. Could you imagine if you had to go through that kind of of situation and you were by yourself, you were alone. You had no connection to the divine strength. The whole rage, the whole wrath of the world, the devil against you. And it's just you by yourself. Who am I? What am I? I'm just a normal person. I have no ability, no strength, no nothing. I have no resources. I'm not smart enough, wise enough. I don't know my Bible enough. Yet, do not let your heart be troubled. For Jesus says here that... If you were to go through that circumstance, he would be with you. And he promises to equip you for the task. To be able to give you the wisdom to refute your 
adversaries, those who are against you. He doesn't call them enemies. They may not be your enemies. They, they may count you as an enemy, but you're not necessarily counting them as an enemy. I think of Stephen. Do you remember the, 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 the character Stephen from, from the book of Acts? When he was called to give an account and he gives this tremendous sermon. And he exposes the, the error of those who would be against him. Christ was with him. Indeed, in verse 16 here, it tells us that believers in those times, as the, the end draws near, that even their dearest and nearest will betray them. Verse 16, you will betray even by your parents, your brothers. The word brothers means those who have shared the womb with you, not necessarily just your brothers, but family members, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. The idea here is that, that the betrayal will go even beyond just strangers. It'll be close and near. And we think, well, that could never happen. And yet you think of the craziness that we've seen just with the, uh, the corona difficulties. Uh, there's a, a gentleman called Kevin James. I don't know if any of you follow him. And he, he made this video. He makes small films. And he made a video of, of two men jogging in a park. And uh, one just takes his face mask off. And, and the other one, he's sitting on a bench. And he's, he's heavy breathing because he's a little bit heavy set like myself. And um, they, they take the mask off. And they kind of see each other. And they look like, hey, you, got, you haven't got your mask on. I haven't got my mask on. And they're in a park in America. And they've been out jogging. And a lady walks past. And she's got a mask on. She's on her phone. And she was. <gasps> And she turns and she takes a photograph of them. And then all of a sudden there's like an alert. Helicopters. And of course it's satirical and it's funny. Helicopters come and SWAT teams chase them through the park. And they're running through the city. And they're trying to carry one another and look after one falls down. And, and, um, and again, it's only a short, small, satirical video. And the man gets home and he, he's like, oh, I'm home. And he doesn't have his mask on. And... And his family members report him. We, we see how quickly even those that we love can, can turn against one another. How the, the, the policies and the pressures and the stresses of the, this corona time that we have experienced can even separate families. People with different opinions on what's proper and what's not proper, what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. When it comes to Christ, those pressures, that prejudice is multiplied a million times. And the Bible tells us that there will come a time when even our family members, our nearest and dearest, may turn against us because of the testimony of Christ within us. Because we will not bow the knee and follow the, the trends of this world or accept their authority over our religiousness. Because we profess Jesus Christ to be Lord and not the state, not the Pope, not some religious person. They cannot have that. The world must be the Lord. 
religious frauds must be the Lord. And they cannot accept when you are independent. So the Bible tells us that the time that is to come, just as it was for Jerusalem of old, will be a time of great turmoil, of terrible difficulty. It will be a time of great social pressure, nation against nation. We'll see demonstrations of those troubles in nature. They will be multiplied and they will gather in intensity. They will be closer together. It will seem as if the whole earth is full of them. We'll see it on the news every night. Whoa, troubles there and troubles there. Difficulties here. It will be a time of untold prejudice. When if you speak out your opinions, you will be persecuted. A time of cancel culture towards Christians. Whenever you take a stand for things that are righteous and noble and right, you will be attacked. The Bible tells us again that we will be delivered up. That some of us may have to go to court. We might have to go to prison for our faith. For the things that we we believe are right and true. The Bible tells us that our, our own family members may turn against us. They might deny us. They might mock us and leave us. But Jesus promises to be with us through it all. He promises to to give us the right things to be able to say. The wisdom, the knowledge, the resources within our being. And in verse 18, 19. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. This appears to be a contradiction. He's telling that some might be put to death. But the idea is you will enjoy an eternity of life. Jesus says in another place, do not be afraid of those who can kill only the body and do no more harm to you, but rather fear him who can kill both the body and condemn the soul to everlasting hell. Beloved, all they can do is end this. All they can do is stop this. But in the real scheme of things, we live for an eternity and we enjoy the blessings of God for eternity. So it is a great lesson for us here as we consider Christ's teachings on the warning signs of the end of the age. For us to consider, are we with him? He says that he will be with us. At the end of the age, there's a great need then for us to be able to be sure when these things begin to happen, on what side of the line do you stand? Do you stand together with Christ? Are you one of those who are actively seeking to walk in his ways and to keep his requirements, who confess him and keep him as their Lord? Or are we one of the other those who do not know him and refuse to have him as their Lord. 
those of us who will persecute and be prejudiced. Oh, beloved, it is so important for us to know on which side of the line that we stand. I cannot tell you that Christ is coming soon. Beloved, I do not know. No man knows the day, the hour, the time. But dear sake, people, all I can tell you is the scriptures say that these things will intensify. And though we live in a time of untold peace, at least in the West, a time of great blessing, of medical blessings, and all these other things, we're, the Bible does tell us that these things will come to an end. It does tell us that we should not be surprised or shocked, dismayed, discouraged. We know that these things must happen and will happen. And therefore, let us be prepared in our hearts. Let us be steadfast in our faith. Let us be faithful to him who is always faithful to us. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us. Lord, as we seek you, Lord, as we wait upon your second coming for you to come and to rescue your people, we pray, O oh Lord God, that you would fulfill your promise, that you'll be with us in this age all the way to the end, that, Lord, you'll help us not to be shocked or surprised, not to live in denial, not to be ignorant of the way that you said things will end. Lord, we see the truth of it when we saw the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, Lord, and how the Romans raised it to the ground. They just absolutely reduced it to rubble. Lord, we pray that we know that as you are preparing to do that to this earth, Lord God, that you would rescue us, that you'd protect us, that we, Lord, would, would represent you, and that, Lord God, we, we, our lives might be a testimony to the world around us. We pray, O oh God, that you would save many, the Lord, that you would renew and redeem those around us. Heavenly Father, for our, our family, our friends, our, our, our children who do not know you, please, Lord, be merciful to them. Grant them faith. Give us the opportunities to, to share with them the gospel. Lord, as we share the gospel, may it deep, deeply bite into their hearts. May they believe and repent of their sin and turn to you. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray this for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.